Welcome to the Boxing One Podcast. This is episode number 45. 45. I tried to convince the homie Chris to skip this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. But uh, if we had to pick one athlete, dude, 45, who represents the number well, who would it be? I can tell you who it's going to be for me because it's a baseball player. You probably may have the same thing, but we'll see. Even it if you don't, be the same thing. Okay, who you got? Jordan coming off his baseball career, coming back to that number forty-five. Man, what? The greatest, <laughs> dude. I can't. You can't. No, he's this is. He see, this isn't like a Kobe moment, right? Kobe had a good, significant portion of his career wearing eight, right, and twenty-four. Jordan was like a one-year deal, right? He was like, no, bro, I can't even wear 45 because I don't even feel right. So I was going to go with Pedro Martinez. But if you want to go with MJ, we can do that, man. I know we're both NBA heads, and I think he is the GOAT. But, dude, you only wore it for a year, and you were still trying to get your sea legs under you. I'm not going to do that. So did he not do more in that 45 for that number than any other NBA player? Than any other player athlete, period, though? Like, look at Pedro's numbers. As forty athlete, I'm just saying. As far as basketball, no, you're right. He became the preeminent forty-five. You're right in one year, but when you the goat, you can do that. He could wear (laughs) ninety-nine, ninety-six. So you trying to tell me you thought about Pedro before you thought about Jordan's comeback? Absolutely. That was the first person I thought about. I thought Jordan first. Okay. Well, we. I'll give you Jordan. Let's do it. Because you gave me somebody before, so we're going to go with Jordan. How about that? That's what's up, yo. All right, boss. See, I'm feeling the love man. early in the podcast. Compromise. That's how we roll. We are going to start with the NBA, though. Got to, man. We haven't really had a time to sit down and talk since the NBA season started. Both of us enjoyed that free league pass for a week, right? Yes. Bring that so, back. I know, man. Come on, League Pass. Hook your boys up. Boxing One Podcast. We'll give you some sponsorship, something like that, right? So, so look, <laughs> we're one over a weekend, and I need to ask you this because I got a specific story that I want to talk about. But if you could just pick one biggest surprise to start this season, like we're only four games in for most teams, but we've seen some cool stuff happen. What would be the biggest surprise that you've seen this season? So far, early on. So I'm going to work my way there quickly, but I'm super surprised that people didn't know that the super teams weren't going to be super on the first week. These people are just getting acclimated to all new teammates. Yeah. So obviously they're not going to be a great team. They might be great players, but they're not going to be a great team. I was surprised by how much LeVar Ball really got me excited for the Wizards-Lakers game. <laughs> but my ultimate surprise is out in Phoenix that they could just be that much more inept. I really did not think of them the same way that I might have thought about a um, New York Nets. You know, I, I didn't. So I didn't think about them the same way I thought about Brooklyn. Um, <clears throat> but they're really not good and they're they're complete dysfunctionality right now um, from firing their coach to the tweets uh, to the responses to the tweets, to benching players. I don't know what's going on out in Phoenix. And I didn't even talk about Jack, Josh Jackson with the with the machine gun at the fan. Bro, so are you that, in like... That's my biggest surprise. What are you in a drill video? 
are you trapping? Are you trapping in Phoenix? Really? Come on, Josh Jackson. Come on, bro. What's going on with him, man? Anyhow, those definitely are surprises for sure. So I got a couple, you know. Um, the obvious one, man, is whoa, opening night, dude. We're all getting excited about the first game of the season, man. And our boy, I mean, I love Gordon Haywood, right? Like he he is one of those consummate good dudes in the league and freak injury that just took him out. And, you know, we don't even want to talk about the deep. Um, but seeing him go down and then seeing Jeremy Lynn go down shortly thereafter, man. Good dudes. Uh, Lynn is, yeah. is, is our guy and uh, having him go out, man. But at the same time, dude, you see uh, how they handled that advert- adversity in the public space. So, you know, even on Twitter, they're like, hey, you know, I'm trusting God, glory to God. I, I mean, some people say that out of like kind of obligation, but you get a sense that both of them kind of understand what that means. Um, so so praying for a speedy recovery for them. And my other surprise, man, I'm, I'm going to have to say it. I, I guess I'm going to have to say it because I'm a Spurs fan, right? Bro, we 4-0 with no Kawhi. And apparently the Monstars don't have LaMarcus Aldridge's body anymore. Yeah, what happened? When did he decide to return (laughs) to the NBA? He decided to come back, man, and he is averaging over 20 points a game. I'm like, okay, L.A., I see you. You get a little contract and you back. I like that. You're not going to be salty when your boy come back, though, is That's the question I'm trying to figure out. Are they going to be able to live together? I mean, you know, L.A. is a back-to-the-basket guy. He's kind of that fundamental dude who's going to be the guy who hits you with these turnaround jumpers. And you're not going to be able to stop it. But Kawhi is an attack-the-basket type dude. But we'll see, man. You know, Pop, he he does what he does. Like, he's doing it for TV. And I like seeing Rudy Gay kind of step into the equation, too. But they beat some good teams. Some really good teams, though. That's been a surprise to me without Kawhi. Right. Sure. But, I mean, really, right now, and Golden State hasn't had a great start, but really, San Antonio is the team that should be dominating early while these other teams are finding their space, right? You're right. Like every other roster looks different. It is surprising because Kawhi hasn't been a huge part of that yet. But, I mean, they have their offense. They have their people in it. So, really, that like, I can't believe people thought that, like, there wouldn't be a growing process for these super teams. Like, did you not watch the Miami Heat come out the gate when they first came out? Like, I mean, that's the that's par for the course. Like, you can't just put great players together and think they'll be a great team. That's not how this league works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see that when Carmelo calling out Paul George. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he was a no-show tonight. That was awesome, man. That was great. So, man, the first week and some change has been great, dude. We've been waiting on the NBA to come back. We'll cover definitely cover more stuff in future podcasts. But we did you like? Of, did you like the earlier start to the season? Was that good for you? Yeah, it was, man. You know, since I'm not watching, you know, professional football, it's like I have Saturdays now for college football. But it's good to have some stuff going on during the week. See the TNT guys back. See KG in Area 21 on TNT. Shout out to Kendis Parker for rolling through last week. But yeah, it was cool, man. It's good to good to have the NBA season start earlier and and be back in action. I liked it earlier too. I was ready. Yeah, more than ready. Here's something I wasn't ready for. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so today today before we even dropped the podcast uh we found out that uh, 45 president trump 
said that the nation's opioid epidemic, which is killing 100 people a day, is the worst drug crisis in American history. And today he said, I'm going to declare a public health emergency. And he said that the country is going to work together to overcome this drug crisis or opioid epidemic. Wait, what? <laughs> so here's uh, what you probably need to talk about when you talk about the drug epidemic, okay? Because this isn't something that just popped up, at least um, drugs generally. And, you know, me and you kind of know the history behind it, but just to run off the war on drugs narrative, we know that during the Reagan era, they declared war on drugs and it detrimentally impacted or disparately impacted minorities communities, especially when it came to crack cocaine. And um, we all know the narratives. We, we've read Michelle Alexander's book. Uh, we know the impact it's had on mass incarceration. And back then, the narrative was a war on drugs. Now, today, the narrative is get them help. And the opioid epidemic actually disparately impacts rural white communities. So the question becomes, what happened to the war on drugs, Chris? All right, so, so much to unpack, right? Just to rehash something you said really quickly, read that book, The New Jim Crow. But very specifically, one of the things that was a logistical problem was one of the things she outlined was like, hey, cops had to target somewhere to fight this war, right? And even though if there were more drugs in the suburbs, it was a harder war to fight against the suburbs. People don't, they're not necessarily outside as much. The homes are more spacious. So it's its tactical. And um, one of the things, like, even as I read that book into this story, I'm seeing, like, these issues that come out on a daily basis in our news, like, you have to attach to the narrative of the complete story. Because then you start to say, well, why are these areas getting policed where these were the areas where Black communities were redlined and not allowed to live in other places? And so consequently the war on drug gets fought here and that's where you get the mass incarcerations from in these communities so it's just a painful um reality i think like the optimist in his right wants to say surely this isn't because this was a black community problem in the 80s when we watched like crack cocaine oh i heard one pastor i think his name was eugene rivers say um, that crack cocaine did what 400 years of slavery couldn't do to blacks. It tore apart families. Wow. And um, if you just want to think about the weight of that sentence, uh, really, like um, anybody who knows, like probably has family members now still incarcerated, dead or addicted from um, that 80s crack epidemic. Like it really did tear apart the black community. Yet... Uh, it wasn't met with a lot of compassion and um, it definitely, none of the answers seemed therapeutic. It was always punitive. So obviously like we're glad for a direction where people are saying like, Hey, how do we help people? This is a crisis and hoping that it's not as simple as, Hey, now the people who are suffering look different now and they look more like us. So um, now we have more compassion. Yeah. And there's no doubt that this thing is deadly, right? So, 
So the most common version of this opioid is fentanyl, which is about 50 times stronger than heroin. Um, and it really has ravaged communities. But I think one of the things that is going to be the, the resulting lament from African-American communities is um, why, why is there a competing narrative about this drug abuse or use um, in a community that is not a minority community, whereas before there was another na narrative surrounding um, that type of drug abuse, use, and selling drugs um, in the 80s um, in the crack epidemic era. So um, as much as uh, it sounds like this is going to be a good thing, my concern is that this is going to make something like this racially divisive. Like there, there is going to draw a line in the sand um, as a lot of the things that have happened over the past several years have done. And uh, that's my concern. Um, I, I, I love uh, rehabilitation, um, helping people um, to overcome addictions. Um, but at the same time, I hate when things are politicized. So, uh, so my prayer is that um, that there's some conciliation or or even repentance um, on the part of some people, knowing that in the '80s we got it wrong, and that now there may be a different approach, but at least recognizing that hey, at some point that war on drugs was not a good idea, yeah. and I think some people are still holding on to that narrative, unless it got you political victories. Mm. But at what cost? Yeah. And I, I think that's a theme that's kind of run through our country as well, right? Like um, political victories yeah. at what cost? A couple more things just on that, Jay Rich. Um, obviously, like I live in a pretty multi-ethnic community, uh, poorer, probably working class. Um, got lots of people in that community with their ears to the street. And they say, one of the things they say is, man, like you see black people now experimenting with drugs that like, were just like taboo um, in the black community um, just a decade ago. And they say like, man, we'll see like people that'll be strung out on things that you wouldn't even imagine black people would dabble with. So there's even been a shift in our community as this um, opioid crisis has hit. We think about hip hop and now we have like hit songs that have like, uh, like drugs in the chorus, you know, yeah. like just chanting drugs. And that's so far from the hip hop that we grew up on where people were like, mm. mostly it came from the um, viewpoint of the dealer, right? And the addict was never glorified in the music. Uh, and then finally, I think we also have to look and see like, how does the gospel speak to this? And just realize like, even turning to this is saying like, hey, there's a lot of pain in my life. There's a lot to escape from. Um, and this is my escape and um, just having a compassion there and being able to point people to a savior that says, come to me, all who are heavy laden and weary, you know, and I will give you rest. Yeah, my heart just aches for people reaching out for things that ultimately can kill them, but provide them relief from such a harsh reality that they experience on a day to day basis. So, Jay Rich. What up, boss? I got I got a question for you, man. Um Usually uh, we follow a template. If you're familiar with the podcast at all, we usually get in some sports because we both love sports and kind of take a 
a culture topic and try to look at it through a gospel lens. And at the end of this show, we always try to leave some time to um, just push through a topic theologically. Um, we've talked a lot about music as a culture thing on the show, but there's also a verse, it's in Colossians and it's in Ephesians, that encourages us that a part of our sanctification process will be spiritual songs, hymns, and um, I'm just curious for you, um, what type of role, how would you, if someone asked you, hey, how do I, what do I do with music in order to help stir my affection for Christ or to help help me to grow in godliness? What would your answer be for that person? Man, I, I, so music has played a major role in my life for a good portion of my life. So as a as a high schooler, college student, and I'm, I'm not even sure if you knew this, I used to work in a music store. Um, so I was. I did know that, and that I you was, had your CD collection alphabetized. <laughs> so I was a store DJ, dude. So, you know, I, I kind of knew all the hits from all the genres. So I wasn't necessarily kind of the R and B rap guy. Like, you know, I had I had a little pop and blues and country. I was in the South, so had to know some country hits too. So, um, so that was BC before Christ, right? So uh, once I came to Christ, because I was such a music inclined person, um, I did what a lot of Christians do. I got rid of all of it, man, um, because it was not helpful for my soul at that point in my life. And I decided to just listen to straight gospel music. So growing up in the black church, gospel was the deal. And um, so I had gospel music. I found some gospel rap back then, um, you know, listening to cats like the grits and, and gospel gangsters uh, back in the day. Um, but I think around my senior year in college, I found this group called Passion Worship Band. That was my introduction to what many deem to be contemporary Christian music. And I was like, wow, these lyrics are amazing. They're amazing because they are Christ-centered and they point me to Jesus. I'm not saying that all gospel music does not point you to Jesus, but there are some gospel songs that aren't necessarily Christ-centered. Um, and some of that is experiential, and we can probably talk about that <laughs> in a whole nother episode. Uh, but having experienced contemporary Christian music, I was like, wow, it would be good to kind of have a good mix here. So I, I kind of bought the DJ mentality or having a good mixture mentality uh, into my Christian walk and just trying to find songs that are good for my soul and point me back to scripture, point me back to the cross of Christ. So uh, I built a pretty significant collection this go around. Um, of Christian music and, and gospel music that has helped to feed my soul. And let me tell you, it's been super instrumental in my spiritual development. Uh, it helps me in my quiet devotional time. Some people don't like to hear lyrics during, during devotional time, but I'm, I'm good with that. I listen to it during the day at work, listen to it on the way to work in the mornings. And, um, you know, I'm almost exclusively contemporary Christian and gospel. Um, just because it feeds my soul uh, throughout the day. So I'm a big music guy. You're going to hear music in my car most of the time when I'm driving and then in my house too. And it's cool because my son, he came in my room the other day. He was like, hey, hey, dad, can you um, can you turn on the Creed 
by Hillsong. Um, he said, I want to hear the song about the Trinity. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, you know, even my kids are like, he's walking around like, I believe in God the Father. And I'm like, he's learning doctrine uh, in song. And, and th that's one of the things that I want to be able to pass down to him. And so I think that's how how um, how it's had a great impact on my spiritual development, man. What about you? Yeah, I say for me, um, I would amen everything you said in my life. Took a very similar track, got rid of all the Nas, Biggie, Jadakiss uh, CDs for a season there, and then was exclusively the exact same. And I, I think one other thing, I think maybe if I could say like I owe this to music, uh, probably the cross movement just on how to uh, engage culture from a from a gospel perspective mm. uh, because all of their albums were albums that talked about the gospel but the gospel as exactly needed to be administered in the culture in hip-hop culture at that moment hey we see hip-hop cultures doing this but we're going to say that the gospel says go this and really like not just exegeting scriptures but exegeting culture well in their albums and having an antidote for what was going on in the culture in the gospel specifically and i i mean it, it really set a trajectory for my life but um for me uh, i remember like if you ask anybody our age and you said uh the best part of waking up they're all gonna say is folders in your cup and they're probably gonna sing it but songs do stick with us mm. forever i've always been quick to memorized lyrics. I grew up a huge hip hop head. I would record the four hour college radio show in my neighborhood, like from my um, home every Saturday and then just listen to the tapes through the weeks. I knew all the lyrics to every hip hop song. Um, and I just grew up passionate about hip hop. So it was good that part of my discipleship process were for people who could exegete that culture well and point me to the gospel in it. It's still very important. I need hymns to remind me of truth. Um, a lot of the times when you are going through a hard time, if the gospel truth is in a hymn, it just comes back to you when you start singing. And that's, uh, mm -hmm. that's super helpful as well. I listen to hymns every morning, worship every morning as I get ready to start my devotional time, opening up God's word, spending time with God in prayer. So there's a part of my day every day where there's just worship music on what would you recommend somebody just starting jay rich say all right i'm about to go get I'm, i gotta get this cd this sounds like a good idea um what, what are you pointing them to what resources are you pointing them to oh man resources Put you on the spot so i would i would man here's the here's the funny thing like i i like and i think i may have mentioned this before man i love elevation worship um they 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 have some amazing lyrics um and then just the way that their songs are arranged um bring you into the presence of god and and those those um albums that they have um are some of my most beloved uh, albums and i would say anything by elevation worship in the past six or seven years would be fair game for someone who's looking for something uh, that points them to our savior for sure what about you real fast i'm gonna try not to take up the whole list man but um as far as worship goes you gotta get uh epiphany fellowship from philadelphia's worship cd by their group called doxa 
The name of the mm-hmm. album is called Centered. It's an amazing album. And then Epiphany Camden has an EP out called Covered. Um, and it is, I think it's just on like Bandcamp and it's Pay What You Will. It's only five songs, but it is fascinating. It too has a little bit of a neo soul feel, but strictly worship um, doxologies and things. It's just really well done. Both of those. Um, man, there is a song called How Can It Be? And another song called, um, oh, what's it called? Oh, I forgot the name of it and I forgot who sings it too, but uh, we'll put some notes up on the podcast. And then this week, I would say, if, you, if you're into hip hop, two classics got released this week. You got to get KB, Today We Rebel. Um, very Christ honoring, but contemporary sounding hip hop album. Just really, it's probably the one of the CDs I've been most excited about in the last couple of years in Christian hip hop. And on the same day, Beautiful Eulogy, which just kills their blend of like folk, soul, hip hop, um, and just heavy on doctrine, Christology. It's just, it's a great, great album. And I'll rock with those for a long time as well. So lots of great contemporary music out now, lots of good worship music that is time tested and has helped me uh, feel closer to God and enter into his presence. So definitely use music that way. It's a great, great tool. No, that's great. That's great. And since I didn't mention a hymn, I will say that my favorite hymn has to be He Will Hold Me Fast. Any artist who thinks that song is going to be pretty good. So if you Google He Will Hold Me Fast and listen to the lyrics, um, they're just amazing. Uh, my favorite hymn for sure. Um, done by Keith and, and, and Kirsten Getty. So, yeah, man. All right, man. So we'd like to give our listeners a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, as you say, and let them know what we're reading, what we're listening to. I, I, I wanted to ask you, dude, what, what are you reading right now that might be helpful for some of our, our listeners? Great. So a lot of my time is still going through the uh, um, Paul Tripp book, which has been excellent. But this week, I also started to read Trip Lee Rise, and I'm about two chapters in, and um, this will be part of our family devotional. It's just so good. It doesn't just speak to teenagers, but it definitely speaks to teenagers. He just does a good job of making it where anyone can pick it up. I've been walking with the Lord for about 20 years, but um, I'm being encouraged by it. But I also know, like he writes it in a way that like, hey, this will capture my kids' attention well. So it's well written, good theology in it. So I would commend that. Mm, it's good, man. I've been reading Center Church by Tim Keller um, for my program, but it's really, really, a really well-written book on church planting. Uh, Keller is one of my favorite dudes in preaching, church planting, all that good stuff. It's a book that you probably want to keep as a resource um, on your shelf if you're interested or intrigued by church planning what church looks like in the urban setting um keller planted a church in in new york which is kind of a unique urban setting but he kind of walks through some of the um, pillars of what it looks like to change to plant a christ-centered church um in the city so yeah so that book is actually and we could talk about this more on a different podcast but that book is actually probably what stopped me from pursuing um, any type of pastorate position because mm-hmm. he was saying like, hey, church planners, like all church plants need X, Y, Z people. And I was like, wait, I'm not the pastor. I'm the Y guy. Like that is what gets me passionate right mm-hmm. there. So, mm-hmm. and funny thing, you should mention that book because my pastor emailed me today 
or texted me and was like, yo, do you have my copy of the Center Church? He was like, it's only like five people at the church who I could think would have it. And you want to like, yeah, I got my own copy. But uh, we we about to get on this social media and see who who uh, stuck my pastor for his theology right. books. Right. So, uh, that ain't cool, man. Get my hey, pastor back the his pastor books, yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Don't, don't jack the pastor's books, man. That ain't right. All right. Closing shout outs, man. What you got, C-Lass? All right. So, man, um, my wife had a milestone birthday since the last time we podcasted. And no need to put that age out there for her, but just say it was a milestone one. And um, I was able to send her to the beach for a week with her family who was down vacationing. And I kind of had the kids all week. But I was writing an article for a newspaper. We had a situation where um, we had like a, a racially charged altercation at a football game. And I was just writing about like, hey, how our community can mute, move forward for um, a newspaper. And then I was like, man, like all this stuff is stuff like that I've really like learned from listening to my wife. So shout out to my wife and to my pastor who just started a series on Jonah and he crushed it. Even without his center church book in place, my man still, he still got the gospel in out of the book of Jonah. So it was, it was amazing. So <laughs> that's great, man. And Hey man, we're going to put that link in the show notes. Cause I think the article you wrote was really good. Um, and it even gave us some context for what was happening with some football teams down in your hometown. And you had some really great practical tips on how to do some next steps for racial reconciliation. I think um, anyone would be interested in reading that. So uh, shout out to you for doing that, man. That's my shout out. Shout out to C Last for for stepping up and 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 becoming the journalist again and writing and doing an op-ed piece in the local newspaper. That's what I'm talking about, bro. Yeah, man, I miss it. So uh, it was good to be back in that in that position. So yeah, sure thing. All right, man. More NBA action to come. I'm very excited about that. Um, looking forward to chopping it up with you a little bit more. But I think we're gonna wrap up at. Episode 45, just go around the Pedro. Oh, sorry. The MJ come back. Get that right. I guess. <laughs> go. And we want to thank you guys for joining us for episode number 45. Be sure to go over to our Facebook page at Boxing One Podcast. The Twitter, follow us at Boxing One Podcast. And go over to iTunes, please, and, and leave a review rating for us. Uh, it kind of helps uh, find pe- people find the podcast. If it's been help- helpful to you in any way, Uh, Make sure you go over there and leave a rating and review. And we'll be sure to see you next go round on episode number 46. Oh, I think that lady's name was Lauren Daigle, by the way, with the worship. I just remember it right when we were about to cut off the podcast. But that's right. Lauren Daigle got that worship stuff going, man. That joint is good. So we'll add it to the show notes. All All right. right, Peace out.